Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about all things dating, psychology, culture, sex related in the modern world. Hope you're doing well. Big shout out to anyone on the East Coast who is enduring some of the torrential rain that we've seen lately. Huge shout out to them. Hope you're doing okay. Sending all the support. Um, and to anyone else who may be hit by, look at all these things going on in the world at the moment, Eliza. <laughs> the mosquitoes. You know, the mosquitoes. <laughs> COVID. Co- there's an election coming up here in Australia. Petrol prices yeah. are through the roof. So, oh, yeah. look, shout out to anyone doing it tough. How are you? Mm. Oh, good. <laughs> I thought you were kind of speaking to the uh, audience when you were like, how are you? I'm <laughs> You're the audience. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am doing it tough. <laughs> my studio, I have like a little like studio granny flat attached to my house and it completely flooded ankle deep in the rain. So that was annoying because unfortunately we didn't check it for like three days and it was holding so all my art, which was annoying. So I lost it all. Um, oh, no. like years of my paintings but that's okay and everything's oh, ruined terrible. um <laughs> but lucky it wasn't the house so small loss overall i guess small but expensive we'll say mm. but how are you yeah i'm, I'm not too is bad your apartment <laughs> impacted i'm uh, i've been lucky yeah look, there was Sid? a little there was a little leak uh which is actually oh. going to be a strata issue but the strata at my building is basically corrupt so i'm thinking of maybe just fixing it myself but no i've i've been very lucky uh it was very heavy yeah. here but yeah my apartment's um been all right i i think the people on the top floor the of my building still there? Are, yes yeah shorty's oh. still doing all right you haven't seen her for ages she i mean she, she misses no, you can you is she there I miss her so i always well, wait I can, for her to do a little appearance so she never jumps up she hasn't been lately Could i can you get um her? I can get it uh, later on in the podcast. I'll come get her and okay, get her to when say I'm hello. When I'm on a really to... long ramble, yeah. <laughs> just come get, go get her. Yeah, just to distract <laughs> everyone. Um, uh, but uh, <laughs> other than that, no, I've been good. Uh, just doing a lot of these regular shows now, really kind of expanding that and trying to hit a lot of the East Coast cities. So, uh, yeah, if you're in Sydney, Western Sydney, Melbourne, or Newcastle. We do regular shows there. In fact, we're doing our first Newcastle show this Sunday. This podcast is coming out on the 16th of March and our show is the 20th of March. So come along to that if you're in Newcastle. And That's uh, exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. A lot of work, uh, but a lot of fun at the same time. And uh, before we get into the nitty and gritty of this podcast, this podcast, Jesus, listen to me. This podcast is sponsored by Steady Freddy. Head to SteadyFreddy.com for all the best in men's sexual health products. They've got delay spray if you suffer from premature ejaculation. And also premature ejaculation, very subjective, okay? It doesn't mean you last 30 seconds or two minutes, whatever it is. Even if you last 10 minutes but want to last longer, that can be considered premature ejaculation. So head to SteadyFreddy.com. They've got a special spray formulated by Dr. David Reiner, all approved by regulatory authorities. And they get a lot of orders from females buying on behalf of their partners so it can be a gift. They've also got uh, ball boost tablets to improve your testicle health and condoms. So for all your sexual health needs, go to steadyfreddy.com. Use the code SEXELS for 15% off. Okay. Amazing. I'm really interested in the... In the um, ball booster one, because I was doing so much research a while back on like male fertility and things like that. And we've spoken about in our podcast how hormones affect, you know, your sperm count and everything. So if anything that helps is good to add. Yep. But Uh, also, if you don't want a baby, then just use the condom. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you get the best of both worlds with these guys. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) testosterone and and sperm count uh, are declining. Yeah. At very scary rates, and well, we've done a yeah. podcast on that already. But people aren't sure if it's the plastics, the ubiquitous plastics, all throughout the atmosphere and in the products we use, or if it's also just our sedentary lifestyles and people who are, are just not as active and healthy as they previously were. 
So there's a range of factors. It's most likely a confluence of factors mm-hmm. that are contributing, but uh, yeah. it, it shouldn't just be for uh, gym bros to think about your testosterone. This is something that will positively impact your health as a man. And uh, there are studies that show that it'll actually improve your heart health, improve your energy, improve your stress levels. So you should look into um, your testosterone levels and and if you feel like they need to mm. be increased, that's not something just for uh, toxic bros at the gym. That's for everyone. And like with anything, it can be taken to a excessive level. But even just our diet, uh, it can dramatically affect what our testosterone is. And I'm 27, about to turn 28, so I'm right at the peak. Well, apparently it's actually 26 when male testosterone peaks. And so it's all downhill from here. Oh, good luck yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's all going down it's Uh, crazy how many things influence it even just like things we use in day-to-day like cleaning products and recently all this stuff has come out about um olaplex which is a very common um shampoo that people with colored hair or even just a lot of women use and now they're saying there's a lot of links between that and an ingredient in it and infertility in women so it's just like you just have no idea it's so scary and it's very difficult to avoid any sort of synthetic yeah. materials. Plastic is everywhere. I, you know, even when I go to Coles and Woolworths, I try to minimize it, but it's impossible. Everything's wrapped in plastic. You can get the most natural ingredients and everything non-artificial, but it's still going to come in a plastic container. And, and look, the reason we use all those pesticides and artificial agents is because it actually, you know, we don't want insects in the food either. So... It's a it's yeah. a difficult situation, isn't it? Basically, you just got to go and grow your own fruit and vegetables. So, one day, one day I'll move yes. out to the country and do that. But look, with all the climate issues that are occurring, uh, it's a matter of time before that gets burnt down too. Anyway, this is a very depressing start. So <laughs> let's move on to something yeah. else. We've got another sponsor of this podcast, Crush Organics. Go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil for forty percent off. They've got a huge range of CBD oil products, all sorts. They've got the day and night oil, the platinum oil, the diamond oil, and they've got gummies, bath bombs, pain creams. Uh, it's a it's a brilliant product. Go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil, 40% off, longtime sponsor of this podcast. So shout out to them. And those are our sponsors for today. Yeah. I want everyone to know, uh, as you can probably tell, uh, not just with this podcast, but with the Neil and Jordan podcast as well. We are uh, getting a lot more sponsors, which is which is great. This is really nice for us. Uh, I want everyone to know we're going to maximize it at three per podcast. We're not going to do any more than three per podcast. This is never going to be one of those podcasts where uh, there's just sponsors littered throughout. So it'll be three per podcast and we'll get them all done in the first 10 minutes. So appreciate you guys, everyone who's been uh, following and listening to us for nearly two years now. The growth in this podcast has been crazy. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's wild to think it's been that long. It feels like it was just yesterday we started and I was awkwardly staring into the camera. (laughs) She told me, do you remember that? that? We're sitting side by side and you're like talking to me and I'm like, (laughs) I you did. I was like, where do I look? You did, and you were like, "Well, you can look in the camera." I said, "You can so if you you're making a point. You can like, look yes. into the camera." But yeah, it's 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 like a half <laughs> podcast, half lecture. That first one, and yeah, it was kind of awkward yeah. as well. But I was like, "Why is this woman staring into my?" No one look at that. I honestly want it removed from the internet. <laughs> no, it's definitely staying there forever. It's a great journey. That. We get to look at where we've come from, <laughs> the journey we've been on. It's been yeah, fantastic. True. So uh, Eliza true, has true. got a a, a very complex topic uh that she wants to dive into today and it's all about self-diagnosing on the internet so there's well ironically enough an epidemic mm-hmm. of people self-diagnosing especially on tiktok and my uh my girlfriend yes, who's just started yeah. her masters of psychology a lot so many of the the psychiatrists there have been very critical of this phenomenon of of people coming in and saying i have this because TikTok told me I have this because Instagram told me I have this. And then often the psychiatrist will say, well, we don't actually know that for sure. I'm not actually sure if you may have that. And then 
they've convinced themselves that's mm. definitely what they have and they won't even listen to the professional who says, look, that might not actually yeah. be the case. So uh, it's a it's a bizarre phenomenon. It's uh, growing mm. at an exponential rate, especially among Generation Z, our favourite uh, people. Mm. We always talk about them. So, Eliza, what are your thoughts on the phenomenon of uh, self-diagnosis? It's, yeah, I think it's a really risky game and I definitely agree that it's kind of like spiralled on TikTok, especially because there's such a culture where you can be really vulnerable and open up and share your insecurities and people love that. People think like, you know, it's not curated like it is on Instagram and all for show. It's about being authentic and being real, which is really good. Uh, But yeah, I just, I don't, I just see everyone all of a sudden saying, I've realized I have this and, you know, you don't need a diagnosis in order to have ADHD or autism or severe depression. You don't need to have that diagnosed, but I really feel like that's actually quite a dangerous thing, especially with, um, ADHD in particular, I'm seeing every single person is diagnosing themselves with that. And the TikTok videos that are like how I knew I had ADHD and it's like I procrastinated my homework or my cleaning. I um, was (laughs) pretty forgetful. (laughs) Yeah, it's everything. I can't focus on things unless I'm really interested in it. And then I hyper focus, (laughs) etc. But the thing is, is that like, it's very common for just everyone to experience that. And also we have to realize that when you get addicted to technology, it impacts your brain in a way that essentially gives you ADHD symptoms without having ADHD. Um, so short attention span, like needing kind of like a high and things like that. So true ADHD is very complex and can be a massive struggle for the people that actually have that. Um, so I think it's quite undermining for someone else to say, oh my God, I'm lazy and procrastinate as well. So I have ADHD. I totally get that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just think it's really dangerous. And also just with general, um, I think that anxiety is something that people can self-diagnose, to be honest. Like, to be fair, if you have anxiety, you're going to know that you have anxiety, especially the physical symptoms of like pounding heart and feeling stressed all the time or worried and things like that. I think that's quite easy to recognize, but it's just, it's, it is dangerous, I think. And, but the hard thing is on the other side is women in particular get so underdiagnosed with um, with mental health conditions or especially things like ADHD and autism. And I remember seeing um, this girl making a video and she recently got diagnosed with autism and then on she got her uh, report notes from the psychiatrist and they were saying that she's an attractive young female, like presents really well. And she was saying, why the hell are they writing down that I'm attractive? This is so inappropriate. And then it was stitched by a psych that was saying, well, actually it's explaining why you weren't diagnosed earlier because people will overlook like attractive women because they seem, well, you seem fine. You don't seem like you, I mean, people with autism are fine as well, but you know what I mean? Like it seems to them, it's not as obvious. So So it has been an interesting thing. Hang on. So why do you think that is? Do you think these are elder male psychologists who are looking at an attractive woman and then, confusing their own attraction with them to 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 to, and this person has a halo effect because that seems strange to me why no no it's it's because they've only just started to realize even though it's been in research for years and years it's only really started to be like recognized that women and men exhibit completely different symptoms of autism and ADHD. So in particular, women with autism are very underdiagnosed because they learn to mask better. Um, So we've talked, you know, in previous um, podcasts about how it's women are biologically driven to socially congregate and share information and talk amongst the tribe, etc., and that they stayed in their tribes through that kind of social connection and bond so women with autism still have that innate drive within them and they can go and talk and hang out with girls and laugh and banter and things like that whereas men with autism are more likely to be quite antisocial and 
and not have banter or as much or not pick up on jokes and things like that. So they were saying, well, this girl, she's she's bantering with me. She's sarcastic. She's got a really funny sense of humor. There's no way she has autism because autism means people can't understand emotion. But for women, what autism really means is that like it's it's that they have to, it, the concept is called masking where it's, I put on a persona where I know that this is how people are going to understand me, but it's completely unnatural to my true self. So not to say all autistic people are true introverts, but it's almost similar to that in that sense, uh, which is why women are, tend to be underdiagnosed. Same for ADHD. Symptoms are very different. Right. It's Interesting. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this is definitely a topic I don't really know a lot about at all. But when you previously said, I can't focus on things unless I'm very interested, then I hyper-focus on them. I mean, that that's me. I, I always thought that was normal, though. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many of these things yeah. are an actual you know, anomaly from, from the norm to the point where it needs a diagnosis versus your... Uh, maybe on an extreme end of a very normal human exhibiting normal human behavior. Uh, For example, Mm. everyone experiences anxiety at points in their life. I don't think anyone ever walks through life without ever feeling anxious. There's certainly times where I've felt anxious. There's certainly periods in my life where I've been very anxious, but I, well, you know, how am I then supposed to know if I have anxiety uh, I can't help but feel if I was 10 years younger and if I was on TikTok all day and maybe I wasn't having an enjoyable time at high school and I felt very nervous and, and uh, experienced a lot of stress in my in my social group or whatever it may be, I, I, I would go on and, and actually feel comfort in knowing that, oh, hey, it's 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 not just me and my circumstances. Maybe I do have this ailment and i'm not trying to denigrate anyone who has potentially um figured things out about themselves but uh the counterpoint to all of these is always that you know when someone's a teenager how how uh authoritative can their own opinion be when it comes to a complex diagnosis uh as we're seeing now you know yeah how how do we move forward as a society from something like this is is this just a cultural trend that'll eventually dissipate or is everyone going to you know start defining (laughs) themselves based on where they sit on a certain spectrum of you know neurological uh capability if you want to call it that where do you see this going yeah in say 10 years because uh, one uh, one last thing i'll I'll say just really mm, quickly is uh mm. Again, my my girlfriend should probably be doing this this podcast, but she went to a seminar where um, a lady who's a, a really high up in the Australian. I, I don't. All I know is that she talks to the government about uh, psychology. That's all I know. And uh, she was saying <laughs> yeah. that now they're giving a lot of uh, resources to parents and to schools alike that say, "Hey, look, feeling sad, feeling down, feeling low." feeling stressed is a normal part of life. This is not yeah. something that you need uh, you need to alleviate or, or need to panic about. Yeah. And it's not something that the school or the, or the peer group or the family necessarily need to try and alleviate. It, it, it may just be that, hey, look, you're going through a tough period in your life. School, especially exam times, exam time is, go- is going to be stressful, especially if you're ethnic and uh navigating the social minefield that is high school will always be stressful to some degree and and yeah i know there's a complex conversation because a lot of people get their backs up and say well you know you don't know what you're talking about and and i'll admit that i don't i don't know what i'm talking about i'm just telling you my feelings based on on what i've experienced here but Mm. uh i i wonder where this is heading and i always reference this book but the Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt was was fantastic on this issue. And mm. there are certain um, cultural and even systemic factors that are uh, contributing to what many call the mental health crisis among Generation Z. And it's not just that we've come from a callous mm. society that uh, always overlooked uh, mental health issues. 
that's part of it, but uh, it's also a, a, a confluence of factors that are contributing to um, this, this huge uptick in mental health concerns. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think, especially when you think about our time in high school, which was many years ago, like 10, 15 <laughs> years ago when yeah. we were in high school. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, so old. Um, and... And I remember the the pressure and was so severe from my school. I was never affected by it because I was like, "Fuck you." Um, but I remember the stress and anxiety of the high school students was so massive because they were like, "If you don't go to uni and you don't get into uni, your life is over. That is your only option." And for someone to choose a path like like yours was one in a million, like so rare and no one could, it was so much of a risk. No one could even dream or they would dream of doing it, but no one would actually ever do it. But now it's, there's so many streams of income that you can make without an, uh, a degree that it almost seems like, well, why would I spend 50, 60, $70,000 on a degree in marketing when I can do online marketing from home, from someone and digital graph or whatever graphics and graphic design that's the word i'm trying to get and get paid the same um a lot of people get money as influencers and uh, you know whether or not that's the best thing to do is one thing but there's so many more options i feel um now as for multiple streams of income that i feel like it should be taking some of that stress off it where people aren't are realizing university is not the be all end all um but an interesting concept when you were saying you know about that's the psychologist who kind of says these emotions are normal etc etc my one of my really good friends and also um adrian my fiance both have pretty significant anxiety but they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum of their upbringing around their mental health so adrian his mom is very very nurturing very attuned to him so she was very very extremely validating to his mental health as a child she got him all this support all this stuff for his adhd let him drop out of school when he needed to do his apprenticeship etc and she still is like that um what's really interesting is when adrian has like the other i think it was even just yesterday he was like i'm having like a shitty day and he's just getting really stressed because he's experiencing a shitty day. And then he started kind of like blaming and like talking about it's his mental health and it's his anxiety and it's really hard, blah, blah, blah. And which it is. But the thing is, is that I was like, babe, I have shitty days all the time. Like that's not just because you have anxiety or ADHD. That's just being a human. Um, so, and it's really interesting. His perception is that anytime he is in a bad mood or is experiencing something negative, he brings it back to, well, it's because I have this. And because so much of his life and upbringing has been based around the fact that he is, he was a child with anxiety and ADHD, which also isn't even severe. It's quite mild. He's never been medicated or anything um, for anything like that. So I just found that find it to be really interesting. And by the way, he's fine when I talk about his mental health on here, he doesn't care. Um, mm. Whereas my friend has really, really severe anxiety, like the panic attack. She's on the highest dosage of medication that you can actually take. She's like, just the physical symptoms are crazy for her. The like IBS, almost vomiting, like just all this stuff that happens to this poor girl. But she, as a child and her upbringing, it was never, ever validated. She was always told you're you're overreacting, you're being over the top, stop being a drama queen. And she has never dealt with it therapeutically. And what was interesting is because yesterday when Adrian was talking about all these things he's doing for his anxiety, at the same time, she was having a really terrible day with her anxiety. And she actually said, you know, I'm, I have people coming over tonight and I've had panic attacks all day, but I'm really glad for my upbringing that my anxiety was just ignored and told it's a part of life get on with it because you know i'm not canceling these events now i'm just going through with it that's how you know i've been taught life is that's part of life get up deal with it whereas adrian if he feels anything the smallest amount of anxiety he's like no i'm staying home (laughs) i'm gonna watch lord of the rings i'm not gonna go um just if it feels it coming on so it is an interesting concept because I actually got in a little bit of it, not a, a debate, but we were having a 
in-depth discussion saying, well, you know, there is a lot of research that shows children that are brought up in a manner where they can name their emotions, recognize that, have that validated, and also learn strategies prior to getting a diagnosis. So they already know deep breathing. They already know regulation. And basically it's probably an upbringing like mine actually, but children like that don't often develop as significant mental health conditions or at all because they've already learned the strategies to handle those emotions and things like that are so innate in them but she wasn't ever taught that so she doesn't know how to handle her emotions and she still doesn't to this day as a 30 year old um but then when she was like well i when i feel shitty i get on and i deal with it and i move through life i can't even do that so it's the pros and cons to both sides it's really interesting it also I'm assuming have a huge class divide in the way people are brought up in that sense. And also I'd suggest yeah. a, a, an immigrant versus non-immigrant divide. Yes. Where, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, when it came to any sort of academic area, uh, my parents wouldn't really, they'd, they'd tell me to sort of push through. Uh, having said that, when it came to anything physical, uh, there was never any mm. s- s- a conversation about having to tough up, toughen up and endure the uh, the pain or anything like that. So those two examples yeah. are perfect. Uh, it, it, that, that's a great illustration of two ends of the spectrum there of, of how mm. those sorts of issues can be dealt with in, in childhood. And again, this is just my personal experience, but... I'll never know what it's like to to have these ailments, but when I hear the symptoms, I do relate. I think, well, hang on, I've got all of that. I suppose maybe I don't have it as severely. Yeah. I don't. I've never had a. I don't think I've ever had a panic attack. There's been instances when I was younger where I was going maybe on a date or going to a party, and then I just didn't want to go because I was too. I just had too much going on, and I and I just panicked. I don't think it was a panic attack though, but. I also had a, I think I might've mentioned on this podcast, I had a facial tick whenever I spoke to people, uh, especially at parties and I in social know that. situations. Yeah, yeah, when I was um, sort of 15, 16, 17, and I never told anyone. So did you have a mild Tourette's? Is that what it was? No, it was, oh, you uh, just don't know. I don't think it was, a- I don't know. Mm. Well, I don't think it was Tourette's. I, I just, uh, yeah, I had an involuntary facial tick whenever I, uh, was in a uh, stressful social situation. So especially talking to girls or when I was in a, you know, having Mm. a lot of pressure if all the guys were looking at me and wanting to, you know, expecting me to banter and make a joke, I'd I'd sort of internally crumble. And it was horrible because every time I smiled, I smiled and then this part of my face would just start uh, shaking. Like quivering? Yeah. And so then I'd immediately have to stop smiling and I looked... Like I wasn't enjoying uh, what I was doing and I just actually lost it one day and I finally told my mom and, and then we went to the doctor who said, yeah, look, that's a form of social anxiety. Now there's two options. You can either, I can put you on these anti-anxiety medication or it is just a part of life and it and it's something that you slowly have to build up an endurance to and maybe don't go to a, a, a go don't put yourself in a situation where just start try to unpack it and understand when it's likely to occur and and try to avoid those situations and slowly build up through um limited exposure and my mom and I talked about it and we decided to just do that that method and slowly but surely over the course of years actually it's it's now all but gone it's it's pretty much vanished which is great uh and again i'm not this is not me trying to say oh you just got to push through it and it'll eventually get better but in that situation for me it did but i don't know if i because i even did a podcast with jordan and i spoke about the sort of feelings i have when I'm, i'm 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 very you know i love scheduling everything and I do actually feel yes. a bit stressed when I'm out of control. I've worked on that a lot. I've, I've improved um, yeah. over the last year or two, but a couple of people actually emailed me and said like, yeah, you probably have anxiety. <laughs> and then that's I an thought, e- oh, maybe I do. That's I like Adrian. He's yeah, obsessed I don't know Yeah. if I do, uh, but uh, 
I don't know how to react or respond to something like that because I'm definitely a functioning mm. member of society. Uh, I, I'm very happy with my yeah. life and, and what I do, but yeah, there's definitely periods of stress and hell, COVID was horrendous yeah. for all of that because I just didn't know what yeah. was going to happen next. Now, uh, I just want to make another note. I'm not trying to make this all about me and by all means, I'm not trying to say, hey, this is my experience, therefore it should be everyone's experience and say that people aren't tough or mm. resilient and enough uh but i'm i'm just i just am telling you about my experience and what i've dealt with mm. with um some degree of mental health concerns there uh so i just find it really hard to 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 have a strong opinion on this because i just don't know what it's really like for other people inside of their head and we use these words like stressed yeah. and and panicked and, and and nervous but i don't know if when mm. someone else says hey i'm feeling anxiety if I can relate that to when I've felt anxious about things and, and that's what we naturally do as human beings. Oh, oh okay, I felt that way and yeah. this is what I did to cope with it. But I don't know the severity of it when mm. someone else is experiencing it. And um, other mm. countries, I, I mean, China obviously is, is another extreme example, but they've just refused to acknowledge things like depression and anxiety because they realize there's such a huge placebo effect where people can sometimes use it as and i'm not i'm not at all saying we should we should follow this model or anything like that but people mm. there is a sort of gray area there where people can use it sometimes as an excuse and especially impressionable kids can uh diagnose themselves or sort of ex accept this as a part of their identity and then not uh do the work that could actually help them alleviate these concerns without the need of of medication or an environment sort of fostering um a, a, a more uh, amicable space for them but i understand this is again yeah. like i said i'm not i'm not i've got to be very i've got to make a strong point when i say this i'm not trying to say that's definitely the the solution or that that should be the way we uh as the australia deal with it uh i just do find it interesting that there's such a different conversation about mental health in mm. in a country like china and i i, yeah. I can see how there would be a, an, an element of placebo in a lot of these uh topics that we talk about here uh and yeah. i've just and what's that's the experience i've and, had and yeah, yeah i i just uh i have it's a it's a it's a really tough thing because it can be extremely uh, harmful for a lot of people and the people around them and I think we can all be on the mm. same page in saying that, hey, we should be trying to ameliorate a lot of these uh, mental health issues that people are experiencing. And if that means regulating technology or if it means more mental health support, mm. but if it also does mean, hey, look, no self-diagnosis, leave that to the professionals and, hey, a lot of these emotions are just a part of life, then then I'm open to that as well. But I think we've got to all get on the same page and, and say, hey, look, we all want the same thing and that's for people to get the most fulfillment and enjoyment out of life without having to feel like they're, uh, you know, their, their, uh, uh, life and, and our society it, it needs to have a sort of adversarial relationship with the individual. Yeah. Or even just the concept of seeking happiness, but in reality, happy people, like I consider myself a very happy person, but I'm not happy all the time. I might be happy for like, you know, however many minutes or hours a day, but I'm not, genuinely like feeling the emotion of pure happiness as my baseline. I think that people try to seek that out. Whereas, you know, there's lots of books actually that write about this saying, don't seek out happiness, just seek out content, mm. seek out peace, seek out calm. Um, but yeah, you raised a really good point about class and culture and how that impacts it. And I've spoken about this um, a couple of times before, but I think countries, some countries in Europe don't have ADHD as a diagnosis either. So that's really interesting um, that they, they doesn't come up. And I remember I used to work um, when I was like 20 at this place called Chatswood Youth Center, where these kids would go play after school. Um, there was like video games and basketball courts, etc. And because it was in Chatswood, about 70% of the kids that came into the youth center were Asian. And so many of the teenagers were so stressed and so overwhelmed, so overworked. They were all panicking, talking about exams, yep. exams, exams. So they would come to the youth center and study 
And then occasionally um, their mum will come pick them up sometimes and I'd pull them into the office and I'd be like, look, he, this kid's so anxious. Like he, he needs support. He needs some help. Like I've seen him have two panic attacks in the last three weeks. I'm really worried. And they just laughed in my face and they're like, he'll be fine. And the funny thing was, is that these kids oh came God. back because you can stay there until they're 21. Like you can get to, like, that's the age. The kids came back at up after high school and they were fine <laughs> after their exams. They felt fine. And it was so wild for me. And I was like, what the fuck? They literally, they, as soon as their exams were finished, they just never exhibited any of those things that I was seeing prior to the exams where I was saying the school needs to intervene. They need psychological support, blah, blah, blah. Cause I just started my degree in um, counseling and behavioral science. And I thought I knew it all as a 20 year old. So really interesting. And as well, I spoke about previously how in, I think it was last year's or the year before, no last year's HSC, um, I think it was Allo's, one of those private school boys on the North Shore in Sydney. One in five of the boys got additional ATAR points due to anxiety. Um, so when you think mm. about this is, you know, there's 500 kids in a year, that's a shitload of kids that got additional ATAR points. And then they compared it to Punchbowl High School, which is the literal school they compared it to, and not one single child got additional or applied for additional ATAR points for mental mm. health. So I just thought that is such a significant contrast between North Shore, highly wealthy, and the Punchbowl School not accessing any of the supports or not feeling like they need any. But also to touch on quickly as well, like your, um, your journey, and I find it really interesting how much this day and age we've kind of steered away from um exposure therapy and it's almost like not really a thing anymore because as when i was a kid in um primary school i had to leave a school because i was getting bullied so badly because i had and i never recognized it until later on that i had well anxiety uh but i couldn't talk i couldn't form sentences i couldn't meet people i would have meltdowns i felt sick all the time I would get really badly tongue-tied anytime I met someone. And I was so chronically shy, like so severely shy. I wouldn't even talk to my family, basically. Nothing happened to me. I was just a really quiet, shy kid. And as I got, well, the first thing I did when I changed schools and I was like 12 um, or 10, um, I went into like year four or year five and I thought, well, no one at the school knows me. So I just pretended to be really cool and funny and straight away became the popular girl of that class, like in primary school oh, and it really changed the trajectory of my life. And my wow. personality was, I realized at a very young age, when you fake it, you make it like, you know, pretend who you want to be and you embody it long enough and that's who you actually become. So I do find that really interesting. And as you know, a high school student, I started kind of becoming a little bit shy again, um, starting high school. My mom used to pick, like get me in the car. She'd drive past the fucking party and drop me off there. <laughs> On my own, right? I didn't know anyone. Just drop me off um, when. Wait, 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 wait! I, at a, I at a party that you weren't invited to, just a random party. Yeah, well. What? <laughs> well, <laughs> we used to come to my beach house every weekend, which is at McMaster's Beach, and because kids on the Central Coast don't have anywhere to party, they would always throw like bonfires <laughs> at the beach and just get like totally shit faced. Oh yeah, it was so the my mum would just drop me yeah. off there. Yeah, and I'd be like this 13-year-old with these like 18-year-olds. Um, and my mum would be like, she needs it. She needs to socialize. And then my mum would always like push me to host parties as well. And it really like, I became a very social person because I was forced to. But it really helped with that um, kind of social anxiety. And then I'd have friends over and mum would be like, well, let's drive around and find a party. And then she'd find one she'd be like, See ya. <laughs> Pick you up at 12. Um, that was it. That's so, amazing. It was interesting. Wow. So she dropped you I off at a random bonfire <laughs> with 18-year-old guys from the Central Coast when you were 13. Damn. It's a miracle. Yeah. Nothing happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> because what would happen is kids from the other side of the beach 
would come up to the side I was on and they'd be bringing like crowbars and they'd just get in these, all the people did was fight, like these giant fist fights and like, I yeah. think I was part of a gang fight. I don't know if they were organized or that was what the bonfires were for because it happened three times. And I well. kept going back home and I'd be like, oh, there was like 50 kids bashing each other up. My mom be like, oh, wild. <laughs> was it fun? Well, there you go. That's uh, how you, yeah. that's, that's what all 13 year olds should in, have to go through. <laughs> That's now your that initiation. Here, here, look, here's a, here's a <laughs> random bonfire with a bunch of 18-year-olds. Get in there. Start chatting. You'll be fine, mate. Yeah, well, you probably would yeah. be. Uh, well, 90% of people would come out very strong and, and 10% would be uh, not so strong, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing. But that's yeah. a... Oh, that's an interesting um, parenting strategy. But look, it, it worked. You're extremely confident, and uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't. From my perspective, it doesn't seem like you have any issues socializing no, or anything yeah. like that. Now, yeah, um, yeah uh, the conversation is very focused on the individual as well, which is a fair point that a lot of people bring up. Which is, hey, it's it's the individual's responsibility to. Uh, make sure they can cure their own anxiety or their own mental health concerns. Mm. When societally we've we've changed so much in even the spa- in in the space of thirty or forty years. I mean, we had much bigger nuclear families. Most people would have four or five mm. siblings. That was quite normal uh, through most of the twentieth century. And not only that, you had an extended family network that yeah. was around a lot more often than I'm guessing would be now, particularly for. Uh, uh, certain cultures and there was no internet so sure there were things like radio and, and television but people were just around other people a lot more on a, yes. on a personal level in real in real life I'm not talking about on on discord mm-hmm. or whatever but <laughs> it sounded so old there on on their discord or whatever they're on <laughs> but um <laughs> and and yeah I I'm in that intermediary, right? Because I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid, played a lot of video games, uh, but I didn't have social media. And I I wonder if I was 10 years younger, I feel like I'd be a completely different person. I mean, look, everyone would be, sure. But yeah, I uh, kids would go, this is such a boomer thing to say, but look, they're not wrong when they say, look, kids would go out to the park and, and you know play with each other yeah. on a personal level. And there's certain social skills you develop from doing that, there's also uh, just a, you could call it social experience. Uh, I don't know exactly how to what the terminology may be, but it's a vital part yeah. of uh, maturing emotionally. And a yeah. lot of kids yeah. aren't having that; they're having far less of that. And I, I'm guessing, I'm sure that's contributing significantly to. Yeah some of the issues we're, we're seeing today. Uh, yeah, because having the societal acceptance from your, your peers is no longer important. It's societal expect, like, uh, acceptance from the online community, which has become much more important, how you're perceived online. Because if one person says something about you online, tens of thousands of people can potentially access that and see that it's um which i'm sure you've experienced you know and um but for you know a teenager um imagine getting comments like you might get occasionally as as a kid it would just like ruin you like i remember when facebook came out and people would say nasty shit on myspace and it was so stressful like and people talk about it all day every day nowadays people don't talk about it but it's very much like their life is driven by that acceptance it's really um sad and scary like remember when we back in our back in our day we had msn and if you miss someone you miss someone you don't speak to them you don't have access to people 24 7 it's like a a weird world to live in. And I honestly am very, really interested to see what it would be like for the next generation or the one below. And they're already showing, um, you know, kids that were born during COVID and are now like a year or so older um, have developed much differently, often slower and have lower uh, IQs or whatever you can kind of measure that on a baby um, or an infant because they didn't get any of that socialization that, um, babies would typically get 
five years ago uh, when you'd go to mother's groups and daycare and things like that. So a really interesting part to see how important that face-to-face socialization is for your own development all the way up, well, actually throughout your entire life. Um, That's basically the essence of being a human is socializing as much as we feel uncomfortable with that. That's that's it. It's connection. You're absolutely right. Getting so like... If we're, <laughs> yeah, if we're moving into the metaverse, some people actually theorize that because the experience in virtual reality, your faculties experience it as though you're conversing with someone on a personal level. It's going to be very different to just responding to messages on a screen. So there could actually be some positives moving into virtual reality in the sense that mm. if you have a community online that you get along with, far more than say you're just local friend group or local community group yeah you can you can uh, foster a community that has niche interests and uh, the the same political values whatever it may be you can then chuck on your oculus 10,000 in the year 2035 and actually feel like you're conversing with them uh, on a personal level and I'm sure they'd have the technology then to to hug each other in virtual reality and then that would trick your brain into actually experiencing a hug and feeling that same level of oxytocin. I, I I do wonder if this technology may actually be beneficial because people think, oh, the progression uh, is automatically bad. That's a huge risk. I don't, I don't Emotionally, I don't like the idea of everyone having headsets and never leaving their house. But at the same time, this may actually have some more benefit than just experiencing life through a phone. I can't help but feel it should be drastically regulated at least initially and i'm usually quite against government regulation but as soon as it comes to the mental health of children i think that's where the the government should definitely be stepping in but then you can't just see it through this sort of bourgeois middle class lens as well you gotta you gotta hear those voices that we were talking about earlier of, of some of the parents who do say no look this is an important part of your upbringing you need to be able to navigate this because as you get older People at work are going to be difficult. That you're going to you're going to go through arduous, yeah. challenging times. That's inevitable. Everyone will go through that, and you can't crumble at the first sign of adversity. So, here's mm-hmm. a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. Uh, I think I was listening to a Sam Harris podcast, and he had a psychiatrist on who was saying that there's this sort of Goldilocks experience for people where you want a little bit of adversity. But not too much adversity because too much adversity, your whole self-esteem and identity can crumble and you just you just fall into cynicism and and resentment. Whereas uh, too little adversity and then when you actually experience uh, Mm. challenges that will inevitably occur later on in life, you have absolutely zero resilience. So it's impossible to uh, find that perfect path. But I suppose if. If there are parents listening or caregivers, there's a there's a there's an optimum level of uh, adversity for any child of any any human being really, and then there's a political question of mm-hmm. how much is that the state's responsibility and how much is that the community's responsibility, the parents' responsibility, the the partner's responsibility, the sibling's responsibility. I feel like we need a whole new moral framework with all this new technology and, and social progression that we've made. And we need to start thinking about not, not just our rights and, and our freedoms, but our responsibilities, our new moral responsibilities to our, to our neighbors, to our children, to our partners, all, all these things, because uh, a lot of people are suffering and we, and we have all this amazing technology, which if used effectively can be great. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a doomsday sort of guy when it comes to virtual reality. I think if it's if it's used uh, efficiently and and in moderation, it can do wonderful things. Like with any technology, let's be honest. The key word there is moderation, and that's not something that uh, you know, and a nascent technology is often yeah. good at employing. So. Gosh, I know I say yeah, this every podcast, the but the next is, 15 is... years are going to be very interesting. Yeah, like it's it's almost moderation is hard because it's not just, I guess, self-discipline. Like, um, you know, in online 
worlds and chat rooms and things like that have been around for years, like Second World or IMVU and Habbo Hotel and all these things that um, I think they're all still around as well. And anyone that goes on them will say like, it just is so fulfilling and so enjoyable. And I think that metaverse is going to be the same in the sense, like you said, where you get that experience where you can find like your your niche group of people that completely align to your values, your your likes, whatever. But the thing is, is that it's those experiences are so good that when you take your Oculus or whatever the fuck it's called off, it's not as satisfying. And then you think about it constantly like when can I get back on and you're craving it and then think what happens when if we did that in the next five years or whatever or however many years and then we're having children or raising children at the same time what's our connection to that child going to be like and how is the next generation going to be raised when this generation is on in an online virtual reality and then the thing is is that the metaverse intends on making it so appealing and so addicting and so alluring to spend as much time as possible in there that you can even make money in there (laughs) like it's it's Hmm. crazy coming out of virtual reality and into reality is going to seem worse than being online and i think that that's the really scary part for me like it terrifies me and i know like myself as a person very very addictive um addictive (laughs) i'm addictive i have an addictive nature and i get obsessed with these kind of things as much as i say i'm gonna do it for one hour a day blah 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 like at the moment it's not a chat room but i'm playing arc again and it's a fucking video game about dinosaurs and i am obsessed i like i only downloaded it a few days ago and i'm like hours every single day like I was a year ago when I had to ban myself because I was so addicted to it but I don't know like I, for people like me I don't think that I would be able to do it appropriately I think I would just be it's all or nothing and I wouldn't be able to moderate it even if I did I would just be thinking about it constantly when I'm off it that's it's a scary. fair point I think uh, yeah. some of these technologies need to be seen as tobacco has been seen and it's taxed and it's regulated and it's banned for people under a certain age and i just can't help but feel that does seem to be the only solution uh i i i can't think of anything else really i i i I can't i can't see teenagers having the discipline to self-regulate when we can't i can't i'm the same as you i i also have an addictive personality but i the more I've been um, talking to other people, I think everyone's like that. I think uh, a lot of these technologies and vices are, uh, well, they're vices for a reason. They're extra- extraordinarily yeah. addictive. It's a drug. Whatever it yeah. may be, drinking and, and smoking and, and gambling mm-hmm. or, or now technology. Uh, they're designed to get you hooked. Yeah. So there's Literally. nothing wrong with you if you do get hooked. I mean, look, there's a degree of discipline there, especially uh, if if you're not, dependent on it you want to be um indulging in these moderately and and doing everything you possibly can to not get to that point where you are addicted but at the same time that you are working against oh who knows thousands of engineers and psychologists and people who work at these corporations who are trying to get you hooked and you're one person so exactly there's so much science and psychology behind it like every second seven seconds they change the screen they change the colors there's things like even the motion of your finger what's going to be the most addictive like that's why instagram became a scrolling thing rather than a click profile click photo when you became scrolling it became much more addictive because it was so intuitive to us if you're interested in it like i highly recommend for anyone to read the book called the cyber effect i can't remember who it's by but it's got a rabbit going down a rabbit hole <laughs> on on the front cover um and that was written like years ago in i think 2008 and even then it was or maybe a bit later maybe i don't know but it was terrifying um what's in that book so i like, it's pretty yeah pretty scary but i guess this, this is a life that we have to adjust to and we have to learn to thrive in yeah. We can't all, just be all existential about it. This is the reality. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these uh, dark foreboding tales of 
<laughs> digital dystopias are yeah. sometimes uh, very dramatic because, look, this podcast is on the internet. It it lives online. Yeah, um, exactly. As I said at the start, I'm look extremely me, grateful and, and, and thankful for what we've been able mm. to do and all the people that have been listening. So I've always been in two minds about, about this and, look, we are cutting down this podcast into clips to try and get people hooked on that algorithm. So yeah. <laughs> it's all part of the game. you got to do it at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. Shit. So, look, <laughs> I like to think this sort of content is a little bit more educational than, say, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's yeah. nourishing social media content and there's fast food content. And I hear a lot of people yes. tell me, hey, I tried to listen to particularly – Neil and Jordan, look, I, I tried to listen for 10 or 15 minutes, but it's too complicated and I lost I lost interest. Now, that could be because we <laughs> just, we ramble on about, well, topics that we think are intellectual, but uh, it also could be that people aren't <laughs> used to listening to someone speak at length for five to 10 to 15 yes. minutes. I couldn't even speak for yes. more than five minutes effectively till I actually started podcasting. So I think podcasts wow. amid amid this sea of uh, fast food content podcasts are something that generally speaking are quite emotionally nourishing obviously it depends yeah. on what sort of yeah. information you're taking yeah, in but so. you're listening to a one-hour conversation and sure you're not experiencing that face-to-face but you are at least being given the illusion that you're sitting there in a room with two people conversing and you're part of that social group so yeah. Uh, we say all this and, and there, there's custom benefits like with everything. I just, uh, for, for children, there needs to be, there needs to be regulation and there needs to be a lot of work done to, um, improve some of the conditions that we're seeing now, because this is, this is horrendous. This is not tenable. We can't have millions of mm. people part of gen said and gen alpha and even millennials such as ourselves just unable to uh coordinate themselves and become functioning members of society the the, the literally the country would collapse so something needs to be done i think we need to of course normalize it and not be able to shame people but we also need the space to have the conversation about okay how can we actually prevent some of these ailments occurring at such a high rate for future generations because it's a a serious concern and and with other events occurring in the world it's shown that we're not in some progressive utopia and uh disaster is on our doorstep both uh metaphorically and well literally so we need to get our act together just as the West in general. You can't even regulate it though. The thing is, there's like such minimal laws about like things that are addictive. So if really, yeah. even though psychologists and things like that might be saying one thing, at the end of the day, everything's coming back down to big businesses with wanting to make a profit. And when then I was just thinking then, well, imagine the hypocrisy of me having a meltdown about metaverse every time we talk about it. If we got invited or offered or even just the, the concept of doing a our podcast in the metaverse where people could sit in front of us. Yeah, you know. I'd wrong. be like, oh, that's awesome. Let's do that. And then here I am being like, fuck, fuck the metaverse. It's gonna be the worst thing. We're all like doomed. So it's uh, who knows. You're, it's just gonna yeah. be an interesting part of life that we'll have to navigate. You're exactly um, right. Carefully. Yeah, you're exactly right. And as usual, it, it, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, I just, yeah, I say regulation, but you're right. We 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 use this, we utilize this technology to our advantage, mm. and there are huge benefits. There have been for me, um, and when work involves being online, being on social media, it's so easy to get distracted. And I always tell myself, look, I'm someone with not a huge amount of responsibilities, and I'm in a uh, you know, comfortable financial position and I still can't find the discipline to consistently not look at my phone for the first couple of hours of the day. It's that addictive. Um, I always say, Remember when you had the Nokia? Off. 
Yeah, I might go. I'm going to go back to that now because I don't have to check in. Uh, well, yeah, because I had to check in everywhere because of COVID. And so I had to uh, yeah. go back to the, the smartphone. But now that that seems to have gone, I don't know. A lot of people are getting COVID again. I think I think my girlfriend has it. But yeah, uh, oh. I might go back to the flip phone. It's a cool point of conversation as well. Hey, look at this. Look at this. Retro. Uh, <laughs> but hey, look, that was a very doomsday podcast. Uh, hopefully it didn't scare you into an existential crisis and let us know your and thoughts if it did, in the comments. Organics. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah. To help you cope. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, yes. Crushorganics.com, steadyfriday.com. Also, uh, we will answer a topic or a question. Go to neilcollhacker.com slash podcasts. You can send in a topic or a question and it is a small fee per month and all that money will go straight to charity helping some of the poorest people in the world and that charity is the life you can save and the premise of that charity is that it is the most cost-effective charity so every dollar you donate is being utilized as charitably as possible it's a it's a brilliant concept and I am very proud to support it. So send in your questions and your topics. We also do shout outs. Go to neilkohacker.com slash podcasts. Come see me live in Newcastle this weekend. Sydney every week. Western Sydney next month. That one's going to be a lot of fun. Melbourne every month. And follow Sex Sales Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. We've got an Instagram and a TikTok. Thank you to everyone who has followed already. Follow Eliza on Instagram as well. Eliza Joy Wilson. We will see you next time. See you next week.